person next to you and say, the best is yet to come. <clears throat> the best is yet to come. Um, John and Joe are a delight, and it's been a huge privilege to be able to come and join in with you guys. You're an amazing community that know how to worship, uh, but you also know how to party. Yeah. Holy cow. I mean, like, some of you are a bit stiff this morning, and I can remember why, because, um, yeah, especially you kind of middle-aged men like me who just like, anyway, there is video evidence, I'm told. Um, uh, yeah, Robert, I'm looking at you particularly. Yeah, take middle age, all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the French philosopher Jacques Ellul says this. I think it's on the screen. Christians were never normal. It's a relief, isn't it? We've always been holy troublemakers. We've always been creators of uncertainty, agents, this is the Babylon bit, agents of a dimension that's incompatible with the status quo. We do not accept the world as it is, but we insist on the world becoming the way that God wants it to be. And the kingdom of God is different from the patterns of this world. That is the exile call that we've been looking at. I've been trying to paint this picture for you of what it is to be a faithful presence in and this world on behalf of that world uh, so that in and through us, God can do an incredible thing. Holiness, faithfulness, prayerful dependence, intentionally engaging, making your home where you live it out. Love where you live. Love it to life. You are here until God says go somewhere else. Your stories that you tell of moving, of doing something different, they need, to, you need, they need to have a Holy Spirit angle to them. You need to be able to say, the Lord said. Um, otherwise, the danger is we're drifting into the other story, the story of the world. We're called to live in the story of the kingdom for the sake of the kingdom. Which is why Peter says this to the exiles in Jerusalem. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. That's what we looked at yesterday, holiness. But notice this. Live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. He has the Daniel story in his head. Notice the parallels. Live such good lives among the pagans that they can't find fault with you. Do you remember the only thing they could find fault with Daniel was that he worshipped God, that he was faithful. That's the call. And in it, together, you are, and you can do amazing things. I want to change gears slightly this morning and ask, uh, what are the possibilities for you, for Exeter Network Church, and for Exeter and wherever it is around there that you live, when you embrace this call together, individually and collectively, to be this faithful presence? What can God do in you, in our day, in this generation, in this moment in time. Uh, let's have a closer look, just for a few moments, at this big story that we're living in and trying to make sense of it. Okay, what does that look like for the local church? Uh, Paul writes this in Colossians chapter 1. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. He's talking about Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself 
all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In Jesus, God is reconciling all things, renewing and redeeming and restoring all creation, that which is good and very good. The judgment, I said this the other day, the judgment of God in Christ is it's worth saving. And we are the agents tasked with doing that. Revelation 21, verse 5, he, Jesus, who was seated on the throne, said, I am making everything new. Everything new. Now, Pete Hughes would have shared all of this with you a few years ago, so I'm reminding you of this. But the word here for new in the Greek is the word kainos, uh, as opposed to the other word for new in Greek, which is neos, from which we get the word new. So I've bought a brand new car. I haven't, but if, uh, I'm making the point. Uh, if, if I had bought a brand new car, I, it would be neos. But the word is kainos, which is renewed. Like when you restore an old MG or something like that. I did that once with a friend. Had to sell it when we went to New Zealand. Tragic. Um, there we go. All things new. Not all new things. All things new. So it's a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. Not an entirely new one. This one is going to be renewed by the Spirit through the church for Christ and the love of the Father. That's the mission of God. That's what he's doing in and for the world. Uh, we have this um, amazing family in our church called the Dunnett family. Ben and Hannah, great friends of ours. Some of you will know Hannah Dunnett is an artist, Christian artist. Um, they're also songwriters. And um, they have this... Uh, lyric. In fact, Ben's leading worship this morning, and he said he was going to use this song. We were texting. A world, he said, they say, of fabulous design, yet scarred with misery and pain. But underneath this brokenness, our maker's signature remains. It's still good. And the Lord is making it all new. He sends us with eyes and ears, his eyes and ears, to look and see and to, to contend for this world, to declare it's good. And it's going to find new expression in the fullness of time. The great theologian Abraham Kuyper said this, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Every square inch is his. He wants it back. Everybody is made in the image of God. They bear it, whether they know it or not. And he wants them back. And he sends you and I to do that work in his name, in his power. So the mission of the church, the church, there's only one church. You know that, right? You're just a little bit of it, a glorious little bit of it, is to join with God in what he is doing in the world, the renewal of all things. That's that engaged piece that we talked about yesterday. The way we do that is that we practice the way of Jesus in community. We do the things that Jesus did together as the people of God. And when we do that, when we pursue holiness, faithfulness, prayerful dependence, act and operate in the things of the Spirit, when we go and share our faith and care for the poor, then through all of that, which is practicing the way of Jesus, we join with God in the renewal of all things. It's a whole life endeavor, and it needs all of us. And I think we're at an extraordinary moment in the church in church history. Every 500 years, the church historians would say, you go through this massive reformation. We're in one at the moment. It's all up for grabs. 
really exciting. It's also really confusing. And every church leader I know is going, what the heck are we meant to do now? <laughs> but because we intuitively know that something's got to give and shift and evolve so that we can be more fruitful in the world, make more of a difference. And I sense from you that you're up for that. I think you're up for it, which is wonderful. Here's the deal. It's going to cost everything. You have to lay down your life. There's, there's no, you can't just play around at it. If you really want to see it happen, you've got to absolutely go for it. And that is my encouragement to you. Uh, in Worcester, we've tried to distill all of this down into three things that we kind of uh, filter, if you like, that we put everything through. And I'm going to share it with you just in case it's helpful for you. But these three things are things we want everyone uh, individually, collectively to be saying, these are, these are the things that I do in my life and in the ministry I'm responsible for and how I live out the life in the kingdom of God. Three things. One, to pursue the manifest presence of God. To be people who live in and from the manifest presence of God. This is the great gift of the Spirit, isn't it? We live in God's presence and from it. And God's with us all the time. Of course he is. We're always aware of his presence. But when you gather and lean in in worship, we become attentive to the manifest presence, don't we? When you sit, sit long enough in your prayer chair and pray, you become aware of the manifest presence of God. This isn't like a spiritual moment every so often. It's meant to be a normative, daily reality. And so practicing the presence of God is really, really important. Seeking it and spending time in it, which is why... You guys do all the stuff you do at New Wine for us, which is brilliant. The presence venue, whatever it's called now, it always changes, doesn't it? Whatever. But we ask you guys to do it because you understand this collectively and individually. Uh, it, the second thing is, is to have a commitment to formation, spiritual formation in your own life. And notice on there it's counter-formation because here's the reality. If we're not being intentionally formed by the Holy Spirit, by Jesus, by the Scriptures, we are being formed by our culture instead. Babylon is forming us if Jesus isn't. There's a famous Bonhoeffer story where he, um, he built his like, little kind of training school on the other side of a river to a big Nazi training camp. And someone said to him, you're mad, what are you doing? You're so, so intense. And he took this friend up onto the top of the hill and said, can you see what they're doing over there? He said, this, pointing back to his training center for missionaries, this has to be stronger than that. That Babylon is so dominant and it's played out through social media and marketing and the consumer culture. It's all around us. We're being formed all the time by our cultural context. We have to, be, we have to engage in counter-formation, transformed into the likeness of Christ. We do that on our own, but we actually do it in community. So if you're not in a midweek group, whatever they look like in the ENC, now is the time. You need it. And then the third thing is sacrificial mission. Mission that costs. Mission that it means you've got to put your name on it, that you actually, you actually know people who need Jesus, rather than just putting money in so the food bank can run or the cap centre can run, which is important. Keep doing that. But actually, it's easy to outsource mission and evangelism to somebody else in the church. But you are the missionary in your street, your workplace, your family, your network, and it's costly. It's faithfulness to God. It means being, standing up and being counted. And here's the thing, right? It's all up for grabs in our post-secular mess. So increasingly, people are like, you're a Christian. Oh, cool. Tell me more. And they might think you're weird, but tough buns. You signed up to follow Jesus. Get over it, basically, in all Christian love. Um, so three things that might help you. And look, there's a, th a fire symbol in the middle, because when those three things come together, you, me, us, we come alive in the things of God. 
Uh, and, and that's what we want, isn't it? So um, I think, uh, let's take a closer look at renewal. What's the renewing work of the Spirit? I think what God's doing all the time by his Spirit is trying to do four kinds of renewal. And they flow into one another. So have a look at this. Um, the first one is spiritual renewal. My personal spiritual renewal. Transformation into the likeness of Christ. That's the formation piece partly. But it's done in the context of church. Because we are the family of God. You, d- you don't do Christianity on your own. It's not, it's not, a, possible, it's not a thing. Jesus never expected that. We're, we're his body. We're his family. We're his ecclesia. We're his, his people. So you, we are the sum total of our parts. So the more you pursue spiritual renewal, holiness, all of that stuff for you, and bring it to the mix of ENC, the more ENC will become this church that's alive in the things of God, being constantly renewed and uh, empowered by the Spirit. So he's wanting to do a renewal in you and a renewal in you. And, and the overflow of that is two other renewals in the world. One is a social renewal, which is really about social action, caring for the poor, going downstream, finding the people who are hurt and bruised by Babylon and caring for them and bringing healing and restoring their lives. And some of you here, that's been your experience. Praise God. But the other renewal that he's wanting to do all the time is actually to subvert the empire. Cultural renewal. Socio-political cultural renewal. That's the upstream stuff we talked about the other day. We need to be doing both. And some of you, in terms of the overflow, will have a draw more naturally to um, the social stuff, caring for people in their moment of need. Thank you if that's you. Keep doing it. But as others of you realize, actually, I'm in the legal profession, or I'm in business, or I'm high up in the civil service, or I'm running the Met Office, or whatever it is. That's the the vision there, the call there, is is to inhabit the structures and institutions of Babylon and transform them from the inside out with the values of the kingdom of God. So it becomes more than just being a really holy Christian in the workplace, and it becomes saying, someone saying, how with my influence in this place can I shape and change how we do things so that everybody thrives? That's what Daniel did in the courts of Nebuchadnezzar and then Cyrus. He changed the atmosphere and things shifted. Does that make sense? So everyone's on the team, remember? Because this takes all of us. So um, next slide, guys. Um, I feel like Chris Whitty. Next slide. Um, uh, Presence and formation is the first two. So notice, again and again, the danger for us as the people of God is we think we have to build the church, that we have to go make fruit happen. But Jesus says, I'll build the church. Remain in me, and I'll bear fruit through you. So, so much of what we're meant to be doing is actually the stuff that only we can do so that God can do through us what only he can do. We often end up defaulting to the action, particularly as good evangelicals. We want to save the world. And we do need to throw our weight and time and money in, but it starts with this presence and formation. Pursue the presence of God. Engage in the formation work of the Spirit. And then mission is what it looks like when it overflows. Okay. Keep going. Next slide, please. Um, uh, one requires an intentionality. I'm not sure I've got my slides quite right here, so I'll, I'll speak to this. But there's an inter- intentionality required of us, isn't there? Leaning in, the, the practicing the way of Jesus, the stuff we were doing in the seminar yesterday. And it leads to influence. 
So Daniel and his friends were intentional, and they gained influence. Does that make sense? When you're intentional, you get the favor of God. And, then that, and that leads to um, influence in the world. Uh, what's the next slide, guys? I'm, I'm, okay, let's ignore that. Go back to the last one. Um, I've, I don't think I sent you the right ones. So let's map the language from yesterday onto here. Holiness, faithfulness, dependence on God is on the left half. In, intentional engagement's on the right. Does that make sense? Can you see that? So, so there's a logic to this. So when we position ourselves personally and then collectively and engage with the things that God wants to do in us, he will send us out. And we'll be sent out with love's compelling power. You know, if you want to have intimacy with God, pursue holiness. If you want to have holiness, pursue intimacy with God. And when you spend time with God, you start to feel, like, uh, feel the things God feels, see the things God sees, desire the thing God desires, start to get a sense of his heart, and you find yourself moving on out. And that's just, this is really important, because actually this is, the, this is the future of the world at stake. And I think it's an extraordinary truth, isn't it, that God in Christ comes, defeats the devil, sets in motion the, the coming of the kingdom of God, the redemption of all things, and then says to the early church, over to you. Over to you. There's one caveat, guys. Just wait for the Holy Spirit, because if you could try and do it in your own strength, you'll burn out. You'll end up having committees and councils and building projects. <laughs> oh, Lord, save us from ourselves. We end up creating our own little mini Babylon instead. Um, that's not a comment on the Church of England. Um, <laughs> it's a work of the Spirit, but actually it's entrusted to us. Isn't that extraordinary? But it's entrusted to us because to be human is to bear the image of God in creation for the glory of God. That's what Adam and Eve are given in the garden, this, this commission to work with and for God, to extend the garden into all creation. It's an extraordinary thing. Andy Crouch says, I think there's a slide for this a few back, Andy Crouch, who's a thinker in America, he says, renewal is the ordering of chaos for human flourishing. Renewal is the ordering of chaos for human flourishing. There's chaos out there. And, and actually the work of the church entrusted to us is to go and bring order to the chaos through carefully, prayerfully serving people, shining like stars, being holy and different, distinctive, doing the things that no one else will do in a way that no one else does them. And, and, and that is what it is to bear the image of God. That's what it is to be human. So the garden was this pocket of order in the kind of proto-creation. And, and beyond. And the idea was that they kind of extended the garden out by cultivating it, stewarding creation, working with it, until the whole earth is filled with this garden, this metaphor of the goodness of God, the world as it's meant to be. That commission to Adam and Eve is what Abraham has an experience of, a version of in the Old Testament, starts again with Abraham. Let's go. Let's try again. You now be my people and live from there, which is why the temple has a gardens all around it and the rivers flow from it because it's meant to symbolize the Garden of Eden and the river flowing from the garden into all the world to, to irrigate it. It's why at the end there's a new heaven temple uh, and the streams, the, the river of life flows and there's trees for the healing of the nations. It's the same metaphor. 
Does that make sense? Which is why Jesus says, I'm the temple, and from me now flow streams of living water. And which is why he now says to us, you're the temple, you're my body, the living stones, Peter says, built together into a holy temple. And in you is the outpouring of the Spirit, so it can flow out through you like a river of life. So what's been commissioned to the disciples, to the early church, and now to the New Testament church, it's not a new thing. It's a new version of the same thing that began in Genesis. Are you tracking with me? Really? You're not just being polite because you want your lunch. Good. Okay. This is really important because what it means is every single day matters. Every single one of you matters. And what you do matters because matter matters. This world matters to God. And so he has placed you and he has gifted you and he's called you and he's made you unique in his image. And there's no one like you. So John just said earlier, you know, you have got to live the life God's called you to live. No one can do it for you. And he's asking you, he's entrusting the kingdom of God to you and to you. And he says, guys, what do you see? What, what, when you dream as a church for Exeter, what do you see? Tell him. And then he'll say, think bigger. <laughs> so, so this is a time where the, we need the dreamers to start dreaming. We need the creatives to start creating. And by the way, we're all creative in different ways. Not just the creative arts, but being creative is what we are. We're, we're made in the image of a creator, aren't we? We are creative creatures. Created to recreate creation. Keep up. Um, we need the entrepreneurs. We need the risk takers. We need the pastors. We need the teachers. We need the evangelists. We need the people who just love serving in obscurity, making things happen. And we need those who've just got to get over being up front with the microphone. We need everybody, 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 every day. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're on the team. Okay. <clears throat> Come back to me. Hello. Look at me. Look at me. Okay. Um, I want to share with you in a moment three things that I think, uh, three possibilities for the church in exile, uh, but particular versions of this in this particular cultural moment. A number of you have had conversations with me saying, what's your sense of the church, Rich? And as in, not this one, but the church. And um, I've said to you already a number of times, I think it's the most exciting time we'll ever know to be alive as a Christian. But I think it's going to be one of the hardest times as well, right? Um, I think the church is going to be smaller, but more potent. Because what will, what's happened in the pandemic particularly, there's been a reset moment and we're all having to renegotiate our faith, aren't we? We're all having to renegotiate engagement with church. The fact that you're here tells me you want to be resilient disciples, okay? Because you could come here anytime. You only live an hour and a half away. So you've come because you want to be part of what God's doing in this church. But not everyone's made the journey in the church across the nation. That's, that's a whole other conversation. But I, so I think it'll be smaller but more beautiful and more potent, more up for it. It's going to be require all of us, but it's exciting. And I actually think the tide's turning. We'll come to this in a moment. In culture, 
I think it's way less hostile than we realize. And I'll tell you why, for two reasons. One, they don't have any answers to the questions that everyone's asking. The prevailing narratives of our culture have just fallen away. They don't, there's, there's nothing left. And so when we offer with a, a kind of a winsomeness the story of God that we're plausibly, faithfully, distinctively living in and therefore living out, people will listen to us on the ground. Not necessarily in the media or in high places, but on the ground. The other reason I think um, the tide is turning is because I think, in, as I said to you on Friday night, in crisis, people are more receptive to change. And people know that we're in crisis. And so they're asking questions that they didn't ask three years ago. So let's be bold. And let's be courageous. And let's be expectant. So three possibilities. The first is for hope. The possibility of hope. Um, I say that because the world needs hope. And that's part of our faith, isn't it? Being sure and certain of what we hope for. That one day, Jesus will return. And all things will be made new. And there will be no more sickness. And there will be no more death. And so we live as, uh, we're traders in hope. We carry hope wherever we go. We're people of hope. And the possibility for you and I, as we live this out, is that we go into the world and we take hope to people, to communities, to situations, to institutions, to Babylon. And we trade in it. It's free. And it gets expressed in the everyday, ordinary ways that we live out our lives individually and collectively what you attempt to do as you dream big for the city in this new chapter. Here are a few examples that have been really, really struck me as we've been thinking about this in Worcester. The first is loneliness. And you can add to this list, by the way. These are just three to get you started. Loneliness. 5% of adults in the UK surveyed last year said they feel lonely often or always. That's 2.6 million people. Like, it's super easy. Do you know everyone in your street? Do you know the sweet old man who's widowed, who lives five doors up? Go knock on his door. Guarantee you, he's a bit lonely. Imagine if we all started doing that. Possibilities. Bringing hope to people. It's not difficult, is it? It requires time. It requires getting over our social awkwardness and going, hello, <laughs> I'm the Christian from down the road. But you don't need to say that. You just need to go knock on the door and say, look, I've just realized I've, never, I've not seen you for ages. How are you? It's, honestly, it's not hard. Uh, the second thing, mental health. It's come up, hasn't it? Even in those testimonies this morning, amazing testimonies. Thank you for being honest about yours, you know, your story, the challenge. Um, at any given moment, we're told, 17% of adults in the UK, that's about 8 million people, 8 million people are struggling with depression. There's all sorts of reasons for that. I was chatting to someone yesterday about this. Um, there's a great book, if you're interested in this, by a guy called Johan Harry called Lost Connections. And essentially, it's a secular diagnosis of the fact that I would basically say that we're people are living in Babylon. We're not connected to God. We're not connected to one another well. We're not connected to the world. We're not connected to what it is to be human. Those lost connections basically mean it's flipping difficult to do life. So part of what we're called to do as the people of God is go meet them in that place and create the connections 
but actually allow something to come alive again in the things of God. We heard that story earlier through the testimony. It's amazing, you know. Okay, it's still my journey, but it's easier because I'm in community. 1.6 children or young people aged 5 to 16, they say, are struggling with this. That's a 50% increase since the beginning of COVID. The world's in crisis. And all that stuff we looked at on the first night, you know, those big, big hitting topics, Ukraine, the climate emergency, racial justice, they play out in loneliness, mental health, and any number of other things you might want to add to this list. This is just another easy one. Now, I don't think for one minute the church should position itself as a mental health charity. I think we should just help people connect into community and journey with people and love them and say, do you know what? There's a God who loves you. He loves you. Oh, how he loves you. It's going to be okay. We're with you to the very end of the age. I'll hold you when it's too dark. I'll be there when you text me at three in the morning. third one, and this is one um, particularly acute for us in Worcester because we were on the food bank, so we see it all the time, is food poverty. Uh, and these stats are out of date, and we know, don't we, with inflation and fuel prices and the war in Ukraine, it's only going to go through the roof. Um, but between the 1st of April 2020 and 31st of March 2021, food banks in the Trussell Trust network, which is 98% of food banks, distributed 2.5 million emergency food parcels to people in crisis. A 33% increase on the previous year. 980,000 of those went to children. We are, in, in terms of the Western world, one of the most divided nations when it comes to poverty, uh, the disconnect between rich and poor, and it's getting wider. Who's going to do something about that if it's not us? So most food banks are run by the church. And, it, and it, it's social action. It's social renewal. It's literally, you're hungry, I'm told to feed the hungry. But we've also got to tackle the causes of it, haven't we? Are you, are you kind of getting a sense of what I'm talking about? What do you have hope for? A question for ENC is, you've already got some of this down. You're doing things you know you've been called to do as your bit of, you know, as one of the churches in Exeter. But, but what are the other things that God's giving you hope for? And saying, go and give hope to these people. You can't do it all. What is on your heart? What's God saying to you? Tell John and Joe. Because God will speak through you all. And there'll be a sense of like, I wonder whether as a church we're being called to go and particularly bring hope to this situation, this people, this issue. People, places, problems. Where are you called to go through those things? Um, I love this quote from a guy called Gerhard Lofink. He's a German theologian. Cool name. He says this, and this is important, and I say this because um, the, um, uh, I'll read it in a moment. We can often feel overwhelmed by this, can't we? What can I do? But actually, here's what he says. It can only be that God begins in a small way, at one single place in the world. There must be a place, he says, visible, tangible, where the salvation of the world can begin. That is, where the world becomes what it's supposed to be, according to God's plan. You hear that theme again. Beginning at that place, the new thing can spread abroad. He doesn't mean like France. He means wider. But not through persuasion, not through indoctrination, not through violence. That's Babylon. Everyone, he says, must have the opportunity to come and see. All must have the chance to behold and test this new thing. Then, if they want to, they can allow themselves to be drawn into 
the history of salvation that God is creating. Only in that way can their freedom be preserved. What drives them to the new thing cannot be force, nor not even moral pressure, but only the fascination of a world that is changed. It's an incarnated faith. We worship an incarnated Jesus. It begins in your real world, where you live, where it's your place, and it spreads out. So you can do something about it individually, and we together can do something about the stuff of the world in Exeter. Okay, number two, the possibility of faith. I said this earlier, uh, the world is changing. I think there's more possibility for faith than we've had for quite a long time. Uh, Julian Barnes, the novelist, says this, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. And I think he captures something. I don't believe in God, but I miss him. Uh, the end of the secular project as it is, and it's taking, it will take a long couple of decades for people to realize probably that it has failed, or that Ukraine, etc., is accelerating it, means there is this new possibility. There's this new openness. It's all up for grab. There is no prevailing worldview. There is no consensus. And it's interesting to me that the in, some of the intellectual elites, the voices in the intellectual space, are beginning to articulate that. So there's a fascinating blog by a theologian called Andrew Wilson, you can Google it. I'll send all my slides, by the way, and notes to these guys so you can have them. But the turning tide of intellectual atheism. Uh, and he quotes a couple of key thinkers in our culture. Niall Ferguson, the historian, says this. I know I can't achieve religious faith, but I do think we should go to church. We don't have, I don't think, an evolved ethical system. I don't buy the idea that evolution alone gets us to be moral. It can modify behavior. But there's just too much evidence, he says, that in the raw, when the constraints of civilization fall away, we behave in the most savage way to one another, Ukraine. I'm a big believer that with the inherited wisdom of a two-millennia-old religion, we've got a pretty good framework to work with. This is one of the leading historians saying we need Christianity. It's fascinating. Douglas Murray, who's a, a philosopher, he says, I, I believe that Christianity is essential because us secularists have been thus far totally incapable of creating an ethic of equality that matches the concept that all human beings are created in the image of God, which is central to the Christian faith. Like, I'm a philosopher. I can't better Christianity. I'm like, we need it. Because what are they doing? They're watching the state of the world, and they, they're diagnosing it. And they're going, the prescription, oh, oh no, <laughs> they're thinking, it's Jesus. Come on. <laughs> Tom Holland, who's the um, a historian, I know John and Joe have tracked with him a bit, not the dashingly handsome actor, just in case some of you are getting excited. Um, he's written some compelling histories. His book, Dominion, is an outstanding book. And he's observed that there's the Greco-Roman societies, his basic thesis was, you know, we've been built on Greco-Roman foundations, and he realized that's not true. And he says this, um, I've observed that the societies, the Greco-Roman societies, were rife with casual socially accepted cruelty towards the weak and slaves as an unquestioned way of life, and the mass extermination of enemies as a matter of course, Ukraine. He argues that it was Christianity that changed all of that in a revolution, he says, so complete that even our critiques of Christianity have to borrow precepts from Christianity to do that. The only way you can criticize Christianity, he says, is by using Christianity, and it's a circular argument. So guess what? He's on a journey to faith. 
and he's in a church in London led by friends of ours because he's kind of gone, oh, the world that we love and want and see can only happen if it's fundamentally Christian. So Andrew Wilson, who wrote the blog post, pulls all this together. He says this, viewing Western, Christi- uh, Western civilization with its Christian soul cut out, many are now willing to say, we need Christ. What they are unable, to, he says, to say just yet is, I need Christ. But my friends, the tide is turning. It is turning. I believe it in all of my gut. It'll take a long while for it to filter out into mainstream thinking. But if those guys are saying it, the tide is turning. We don't need to wait for the tide to turn because, as you can see, the tide turns twice a day. It's turning. Get, get going. Get out there. Go share your faith. Do you want to come and see where the salvation of the world has begun? Yeah, come. come. It's my table. It's our church. It's that project that we started in our local park, whatever it is. Final thing, real quick. I think we should have the expectation that God's about to move in power. That's the third possibility, the possibility of revival. My friend Mark says, um, I love this. He he said this off the cuff in a conversation a number of us were having with him. And we were like, you've got to write a book about this, which he did. It's called Reappearing Church. It's worth reading. He says, revival is what happens when renewal goes viral. Revival is what happens when renewal goes viral. When you and I, all of us, really go for those renewals, that life of renewal, the exile life, God can breathe on that if he wants to. And it can go viral. How exciting. We don't chase revival. We pursue renewal. And we do what we can do, which is we pray for God to breathe on our best efforts our way of life together in such an extraordinary way. And he does this every so often in church history. There are these power surges of the spirit. And um, God does something extraordinary. So he goes on to ask this question, will we, the church, contend in prayer for God to move powerfully and for him to use us as his agents of renewal in this cultural moment? That is the killer question. Will you pray? Will we pray for a move of the spirit? And the Spirit will say, I want to move, but you've got to do what you've got to do. Faithful presence, and then I'll breathe upon you. God never wastes a good crisis. We're in crisis. I really think there's a revival that is possible. We can't engineer it. We can't fake it. We can't, but we can position ourselves for it, and we can pray for it. Any move of God has always been birthed in and sustained by prayer. Do you have faith for that? I do. Um, Someone shared it earlier uh, over the weekend, but Habakkuk 3, verse 2, is a great prayer. I encourage you to pray it every single day. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In our time. What I'd love to do is um, give us an opportunity just to pause and to reflect and to think and to engage with what God's been saying. And then I'm going to ask you to stand after a few moments. I'm going to watch a video actually to do this. We might kill the lights if we can, Toby. Is that possible? Could we cue that up with people? Did we? Don't worry if we can't. 
Um, and some of you may have seen this video before. Let me tee it up real quick. It's a five-minute long video, so it's a kind of devotional thing for you. Um, and then what we'll do is we'll pray. Um, it's, a vi- it's actually an advert for a bank in Spain. Okay, don't let that put you off. Babylon. Okay. Um, but I want you to notice two things that happen um, on this video. The first is watch um, the journey uh, of... Uh, it will make sense in a minute. Watch what happens as more and more people join in on this, um, this subversive moment that happens that's captured on film. So what, ha- what happens as more people join in on it? And second question is, watch what happens to the onlookers as this thing builds. Does that make sense? Okay, so you, um, can we run it? Great.
That's an amazing video. It's on YouTube, so you can go and find it. Um, I'll send you the link. A couple of things. Did you notice the, the effect of this group of people going into the world? Just everyone's going about doing their life, and bit by bit, they add themselves in play their instruments and the sound grows and builds and more and more people join in and, and it sucked people in. Did you see the joy on people's faces? Did you see the wonder? Did you see everyone stopped? Everyone starts getting up and putting their coffee down and watching because they're drawn into something. That is a picture for me, that orchestra is for you. The church going out, someone takes his big double bass out, waits for the girl to put a coin in the hat off they go. That's the picture for the church. That's what faithful presence looks like. Did it feel good to watch it? Did something come alive in you? Did you feel it? Let's stand together. <coughs> I want to do two things. The first is, um, and John and I have talked about this, so it's not me assuming a kind of an Episcopal role or anything like that. But I want to pray a blessing over you in a moment, a commissioning blessing. And then I'm going to ask you to let the Spirit do some deep work in you one last time. So let's be still. Maybe just, if it's helpful, close your eyes again. Put your hands out. Openness to God, dependency on Him. entrusted the kingdom of God to you, entrusted the extra, uh, extra and its people to you, you're on his team, your name's written in the book of life, he's put dreams in you, gifts been given to you by his spirit, you're not here to make up the numbers to subvert the empire of Babylon and bringing the things of the kingdom to bear. It's what you're made for. It's what it is to be human. All the work of the Spirit. So if it's in the choir of your heart, oh, I invite the Spirit upon me. church. May you remain faithful to God and yet meaningfully present in this world. May you pursue radical holiness for the glory of God and the liberation of your soul. May you trust in the goodness and power of God and his promises to be always with you. May you depend on him in prayer and see many signs miracles and wonders. May you engage with this world in humble service and with great courage until it becomes all it was made to be. And in all of this, may you truly be family to one another and know the blessing of God, the loving Father, the redeeming Son, and the life-giving Holy Spirit this day and always. And all God's people said, Amen. Holy Spirit.